0: The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.
1: Kirk Ferentz, who was Hayden Fry's offensive line coach from 1981 to 1989. He's been the man, the head hawk in Iowa City now for 20 years, the longest tenured coach. You see the emotion now on his face. Incredible. When you think Iowa football, Niall Kinnick, Hayden Fry, and Kirk Ferentz. Kirk Ferentz is now number one, all time, the winningest
0: coach in Iowa history. Hello everyone, this is John Patchett and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike. This is our new Reporters Notebook podcast featuring Scott Docterman, who reflects on the Hawks' 33-7 season-opening win over the NIU Huskies and previews this week's Iowa-Iowa State game in the annual battle for the Cy-Hawk Trophy. And you'll hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Iowa State's Matt Campbell. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include sports reporter Scott Docterman of The Athletic and Steve Batterfield from the Quad City Times, former Iowa kicker Ron Caluzzi, and our own Tyler Chumeland and Jack Bransguard. The Northern Illinois game highlights are courtesy of the Big Ten Network with announcers Joe Beninati and Chuck Long. We very much appreciate it and thank them.
1: Play action, Stanley back in the end zone, no offense, touchdown Hawkeye. Two tight ends
2: and a fullback that been set this play up. Heavy play action. That's a hard play to cover. We used to call that the Denny's route because it was always open, Joe.
1: Noah Fant, who was fabulous with 11 TD catches last year. Preseason All-American gets on the board. This is a one-yard TD catch from Nate Stanley. And the Hawkeyes are out in front by 10.
3: Hawkeyes Mike programs are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years.
0: this Saturday at Kinnick Stadium in Iowa City features the annual Cy-Hawk trophy game between the Iowa Hawkeyes and the Iowa State Cyclones. Iowa enters the game 1-0 and on the heels of a 33-7 season opening win over a very respectable Northern Illinois team last Saturday, while ISU is still 0-0 since its scheduled game in Ames last weekend was canceled shortly after the opening kickoff due to severe thunderstorms. Who has the advantage as a result of that, well, it remains to be seen. Both head coaches have said that that can cut both ways. Both of these teams finished eight and five last season and had bowl wins. Each team upset top five ranked opponents. They are similar in several respects, including solid defenses and the potential to put up a lot of points on offense. Both squads also boast preseason all conference and or all Americans. Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz became the winningest in Hawkeyes football history when he notched his 144th win last week, surpassing the legendary Hayden Fry's 143. Ferentz is now 144 and 97 at Iowa. He ranks fifth all time in the Big Ten with the 144 total wins and has 86 wins in Conference play ranks sixth. Ference is also the Dean of College Football Coaches in his twentieth season at Iowa. Iowa State head coach Matt Campbell is in his third season in Ames, improving from three and nine in 2016 to eight and five last year. His record at ISU is 11 and 14, while his overall record in his seven years as a head coach is 46 and 29. Iowa leads the all-time series 43 to 22, including 24 and 14 in games played in Iowa City. The Hawkeyes hold a 27 and 14 record since the series resumed in 1977, and have won the last three contests, including a 44-41 overtime win last year in Ames. As a result of that victory, the Hawkeyes still have possession of the Cy Hawk Trophy and will look to keep it that way on Saturday. The last time ISU won in Iowa City was in 2014 by a score of 20-17. In game notes, Iowa State has improved in each of Matt Campbell's first two seasons and appears poised to take another step forward in 2018. In fact, the improvement in ISU's defense in 2017 from 2016 is incredible. Look at these stats. 20.9 points per game last year versus 31.3 surrendered the previous year. 128 rushing yards given up last year versus 218 in 2016. 10 rushing TDs all season last year compared to 23 the prior year and a turnover margin of plus 10 over 2016's minus three. Iowa's defense boasts one of the better and deep offensive lines in the entire country. Last week versus NIU, the Hawkeyes had five sacks and constantly pressured the Huskies quarterback from start to finish. And while Iowa's group of linebackers is inexperienced and struggled in the first quarter last Saturday, it regrouped to play a solid game the last three periods. Iowa quarterback Nate Stanley's performance against Northern Illinois was middling if you look at the statistics, but that's slightly misleading and it would have been markedly better if not for the five passes his receivers dropped. Stanley did throw another TD pass versus NIU, a one-yarder to tight end Noah Fant, and that marked the 27th touchdown pass of Stanley's career. He also threw one pick. Iowa's running backs combined for 199 yards rushing. The Hawkeyes are now 29-1 over the past four seasons when they rush for 100 yards or more in a game. Also of note, in its last two regular season games, NIU this year and Nebraska last, the Hawkeyes have outscored their opponents 72-7 in the second half. The Cyclones have outstanding players in David Montgomery at running back and 6-foot-6-inch Hakeem Butler at wide receiver. Montgomery was first-team All-Big 12 last year when he totaled 1,146 yards rushing while fumbling just once in 294 touches. Butler was on fire last year against Iowa when he had five catches for 128 yards and two touchdowns. They also have a very solid quarterback in Kyle Kemp, who's six foot five. after he was granted a sixth year of eligibility. Kemp took over as the starter in the fifth game of last year's season. Overall, ISU returns 11 offensive players and 7 on the defensive side, who have started at least four games a season during their careers. Iowa State also set school season records in 2017 for the fewest number of turnovers, 10, and the least number of fun- Fumbles lost an amazing one for the entire 12-game season. That lone fumble led the FBS and tied the all-time record nationally. In key depth chart changes for the Hawkeyes, Iowa's two offensive tackle starters return after their one-game suspensions, Alaric Jackson and Tristan Wirfs, and Iowa gets two of its top eight defensive line players back, also returning after their one-game suspensions, Cedric Lattimore and Brady Reef. Kirk noted that starting running back. Ivory Kelly Martin was nicked up during the NIU game. He's been on a walking boot this week and is questionable for Iowa State, as are a couple of other players that were not named by the head coach. And Jack Hockaday is listed as the starting middle linebacker. After taking over that position from first game starter Amani Jones early in the Huskies contest, parents did say both of those players will see PT against the Cyclones. In tidbits and nuggets, the game will be a national telecast on Fox with a Tim Brando, he's one of the best in the business, along with Spencer Tillman and Holly Sanders. It will be broadcast as usual on the Hawkeye Radio Network with Gary Dolphin, Ed Podolak, and Rob Brooks. It will also be available on Satellite Radio XM Channel 83 and Sirius Channel 83. The game is a sellout at Kinnick where the maximum capacity has been reduced to 69,250 as a result of the new North End Zone Construction Project. It will be the first of at least three consecutive sellouts in Iowa City. Iowa holds an all-time record of 58-34 and against current members of the Big 12 Conference. And Saturday's game will be the first of four trophy games the Hawkeyes play this season. Three of those trophies currently reside in Iowa City. The Cy Hawk, Floyd of Rosedale, that's Minnesota's contest, and the Heroes Trophy versus Nebraska. Iowa will try to reclaim the Heartland Trophy when it plays Wisconsin at Kinnick on September 22nd. I look good.
1: Third and goal from the two for Iowa. Ivory Kelly Martin is the tailback. Two tight end set. Kelly Martin bouncing it outside. Fights his way to the end zone. Ivory Kelly Martin. The off tackle play has been their bread and butter today. And Iowa's lead has blossomed to 17. Iowa faithful having fun on BTN.
0: Time now to hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who says the focus this week is clearly and solely on Iowa State and the rivalry with the Clones.
4: Right now, uh, certainly our focus is totally on Iowa State getting ready for this ball game. Uh, You know, it's certainly a Special game for everybody involved. I think uh, nothing new there. It's a great rivalry, certainly, uh, and, and one we're uh, really excited about being part of. And, and I think it's uh, not only exciting for our players, for our coaches, uh, for alums, uh, fans in the state, but people across the country. It's just uh, it's a really great uh, great thing for everybody, I think. So the game means a lot for us. Means means a lot for all of our team, I think especially from our guys from Iowa. Proud of the fact that we have uh, 12 guys that are starters right now uh, from this state. And, basically if you look at our roster about 50% of it's uh Iowa native so I think that's certainly important it says a lot about the commitment that our players think have uh to our, to our university and then conversely the commitment we have to the state of Iowa. So a lot, a lot of good things about this game, no question about it. Traditionally been a really good rivalry, so we expect more of the same on Saturday.
0: Ferentz was asked about the disappointing play of middle linebacker Imani Jones, who got his first start against NIU before being replaced early in that game by Jack Hockaday.
4: I'm not going to say it was predictable what happened, but I think what happened to him is consistent with him. I mean, the reason we like him so much, he's a high energy, uh, you know, he, he wants to make every play and get to the ball, and you can't always do that. Sometimes you just have to play your position. And I think he was just trying so hard that he hurt himself a little bit on a couple of plays, and we just wanted to get him out. He was probably the only guy playing well in the last possession. Uh, we had 11 guys out there on the field, uh, but not many of them were playing the way they should have played. He made some plays there that were very reflective of the guy we saw uh, over a long period of time. So, and you know, we're hardly ready to, to throw him off the boat here. I mean, he's he's had a good week of practice. He'll keep practicing. Um, my guess is he'll be in the lineup at some point. And, you know, he's a really good football player. So, just got to calm down a little bit. And, you know, I'm not saying he's Drew Tate, but, you know, Drew Tate hyperventilated his first game. Kind of the same thing. Guys, some guys just want to do so well, you know, and you try to do too much, and sometimes that works against you.
0: Ferrance thought the play of his offensive line was pretty pretty good last Saturday, especially considering that both of his starting tackles were suspended for that game.
4: I see it as a real positive. I mean, I don't mind telling you we had some concerns going into the game with three guys that haven't played very much against a group that was, you know, Pretty uh, pretty good on film, so I thought that experience was really good and valuable for all three of the guys. Could, couldn't have been more different combination. And you know, if you just compare and contrast, Kalenberger and uh, Ferguson, a fifth year senior, a second year, Richard freshman, uh, two opposites of the spectrum. But both both guys, I think, you know, are in the same boat where they feel a lot better about themselves today than they did a week ago. And uh, again, you can't you can't hand it to them. They've been practicing good, but they you know they had to go out and play and play in front of the crowd. And uh, you know, they had some bad plays too, but they played through those things. And to me, they're, they're practicing more confident the last two days than I've seen them all season long or any, any time of their careers, and that's a good thing. So we'll let those guys compete too. And uh, the more the merrier. And depth, depth in the offensive line is a big concern coming into camp, and it uh, remains that way. But I feel like we're a little further down the road now in a positive way than we were.
0: Ferentz was asked about the significant improvement ISU's defense made in 2017 over the prior year.
4: I don't want to say it's an underreported. Uh, cause I'm not an expert on you know their coverage, but you know to me, when we look at as coaches, we look at their program. Uh, they've made vast improvement, obviously. I mean, they're an eight-win ball club, won their bowl game, and I think a big part of that. And I'm sure Coach Campbell will tell you the same thing as their defensive play. Pretty sure they're in the top 25. I think they're 21 points a game. And you think about that that accomplishment in that conference. That's a high-scoring conference. It's very, very impressive. And uh, you know, we, we play different styles of defense, but I think the, the commonality is that these. these guys Guys really play good team defense. They play hard, and they're they're really sound. They're really sound. They're hard. They're hard to you know score points against. And. Uh you know, so I think that's a big part. You, know, you wonder why a team, you know, we talked about the game where they were at two years ago. They, they were not a good team defense against us. That, you know, I mean, they just didn't even look like not even close to what they are now. But they're they're playing together. They've got a good scheme, good plan, good coaching staff, and they're they're really playing good team defense. And that, you know, that's a that's a big key to winning football games.
0: And Kirk talked at length about the illegal block rule in college football and the way it's enforced, referencing the 15-yard penalty called in the third quarter against Iowa's Ross.
4: Reynolds. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to call and I I hate calling the league, but I will call just to, just to, you know, it's, it's, it's the dumbest rule in football. I mean, I I think I'm safe in saying that there might be a dumber one. I can't think of it. It just, you know, it's to put it in simplistic terms, there's a certain area within the center box. Where you play football, whether you're an offensive guy or a defensive guy, And defensive guys are supposed to know how to use their hands to play cut blocks. They used to teach that back when you know defense was really important, but now the way they got this rule uh, structured, defensive guys can just turn and run, and it's ridiculous. And my my stance is there's a certain area where they got to play defense, and if they shouldn't, you know, they should they should be penalized by getting blocked, uh, you know. And the way the rule reads right now, I'm glad you asked. I'll just I'll, t- I'll take this and run with it. So the rule is stated. Okay. the way I coached it for however many years I was a line coach, the rule is just the opposite. So if a linebacker turns and runs, okay, you can't cut them. Well, I, you know, I coached for a long time. If a guy runs, cut him because he can't play a cut block, right? And when you're in the middle, you're supposed to play defense. So, you know, it's a dumb rule. And the bottom line is this. Okay, the rule stinks, but the worst part of it is, okay, it really makes it a hard job for the guys that officiate. Now, I'm not mad at the center judge the other day. I understand what he was saying. And that there's another variable tied into it. Is the ball in the box or out of the box when the cut? The ball was in the box, okay, for the record. But the problem is, okay, we, we put so much on the officials. These guys are humans and, and it's just unreasonable. So you have rules that are really tough to enforce, and then, you know, dumb things happen on the field. It's just, it's, it's really frustrating. But it's bureaucracy at its best. So I guess I'll have to live with it, huh? We're still going to coach it the same way. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous.
1: First and 10 with 138 to go. Childers, the blitz is picked up. They'll scramble now. Float this one. Intercepted by Amani Hooker. Once more, the Hawkeyes' defense stands tall.
2: Big mistake by Marcus Childers. Know
1: where you are on
2: the field. Monty Hooker made a great
1: play. Hooker's first interception of his career last year came against Illinois. The latest against Marcus Childers of Northern Illinois.
3: Visit HawkeyesMike.com and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. And you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Medium and Twitter.
0: Next, we hear from Iowa State head coach Matt Campbell, who was asked whether the cancellation of ISU's first game had a bigger impact on particular players or particular position groups.
2: Yeah, you know, I I, gosh, I don't know. You know, I I just think there were so many, as a coach and as a player, you want to play, you know, and and so I, I just think that our entire team, in a lot of ways, getting out there, getting to play the game of football, getting to play under the lights, have successes, have failures, and getting to work through that, that's probably affected the team in general and so you know I I think that's something that we'll have to now get come this week and you play a a whole football game and have the opportunity to do that so I don't know if there was anybody I think some of the positives are great for a guy like Mike Rose who hasn't got to play in a college football game to get out there get a taste of that that environment that energy certainly get a series to do that you know some guys that maybe played for the first time you know it was great to see Tariq Milton catch a punt and it was good for you know Mueller to get out there and him to play a little bit of football and, and so I, I think there were certainly some great positives that we could take from it but um, you know what did you miss you miss you miss playing and you miss getting the opportunity to make you know adjustments and some of those things that all teams want to do because that's what build teams and ultimately that's how you're defined as a football team at the end of the year.
0: Campbell talks about the challenges Iowa's impressive defensive line poses for the Cyclones veteran offensive line.
2: Well, I you know, I think a great challenge. You talk about a veteran football team, that veteranness lays right there on that defensive front. You know, I I couldn't be more impressed. You, you you even just go back through the last two, three years of this football team and you know, when they've needed to make a play, when good things have had to happen, that defensive line has spearheaded things. And so, you know, I, I think you're getting maybe one of the best defensive lines in the country and they play hard, they're consistent, they you know, They're going to play as hard as they can for as long as they can, and it's really impressive. So I got a lot of respect for them. Um, Again, a lot of guys that have played a lot of football and guys that, uh, you know, they've got good depth on that defensive line. They rotate a lot of guys in, and all those guys are playing good football for them.
0: Campbell was asked about Iowa quarterback Nate Stanley and his productive tight ends and the best way Iowa State can try to defend them.
2: Well, I I think two things. First of all, you know, I I think, number one, you talk about a, a veteran quarterback like Nate is. You're talking about a guy that if you just say, "Hey, I'm going to take those tight ends away," he's he's good enough, and he's got good enough weapons around him that he's going to make you pay. And you know, I I would say first and foremost, their tight end position outstanding. You know, it's fun to watch those guys, the growth that those two have made in their program. They're playing really good football for them right now, and certainly did down the stretch run for them a year ago. But I think again, it's like going against any really talented quarterback. You have to be multiple. You have to have the ability to do multiple things. And if you think you're just going to do one thing, then obviously they're going to beat you. So, you know, I think we'll have the ability to to be multiple how we'll attack them in terms of defensive football and certainly situational football. But, uh, you know, a lot of credit goes to them, their team, and the growth that those, those two position groups have made because they're both playing really well right now.
0: Matt Campbell discusses the impact last year's overtime loss to Iowa had on his team in terms of its ability to be better positioned to win close games.
2: That was the starting point I mean, as that season went on, I think, you know, there was, you look back at last season, there was a lot of games that maybe felt like that where they didn't go our way. And, you know, there were probably about half that did go our way, you know. And I I think what last year taught us is is the value of 60 minutes plus of playing with consistency. If you want to beat consistent, really good football programs, and you want to become that, then you have to understand what it takes to win games like that. And I think those were some of the lessons that we were able to l- draw from throughout the offseason and really as the season went on last year, of what does it really take, not only in terms of our preparation, but what's it take within a game in the 60 minutes of a game or more that you have to be able to do to be able to persevere and win a football game. So you know, I, I think invaluable experience, something again that if you're willing to learn and grow, whether you're a coach or a player, you, you certainly learn from experiences like that. And uh, I thought it was a really good teaching tool for all of us to learn from a year ago.
0: Campbell talks about Iowa's inexperienced starting linebackers.
2: Well, I, I think the best thing, no matter who's played linebacker for those guys, and, and believe me, you're talking, you know, you look at their history and certainly the recent history, those linebackers have been exceptional. And what, what allows those guys to be confident and play with ease is that defensive front. And so, you know, I think you see when you turn the film on, you see a very similar style of defense because that defensive front is so veteran that it really allows those linebackers to play with confidence. And, you know, all th- really the four primarily that played last, you know, last week, especially early in the the game. All four of those guys are guys that have played football for them. You know, guys that have, were in unpackage situations. Guys that played a lot of special teams for them. So they're guys that are confident. They know their system. I think that's the one thing you appreciate about them is systematically they are who they are and they're going to go play and they're going to come after you that way. And I think that's the thing that these linebackers—they're really confident in what they do. And you almost see them just picking up where last year's group kind of left off in a lot of ways. So the challenge is, can you ever get to those guys? You know, because of how good their defensive front is. So. I'm really impressed with at least what I've seen so far from film from that group.
0: And Matt Campbell reflects on this Hawkeye-Cyclones rivalry as he begins his third year as head coach of the Cyclones.
2: For me, it's, it's being in this state now, you know, a little bit over or right around three years. You know, you're talking about, you're so impressed in this state with the passion that, in the commitment and loyalty that these fan bases have for their universities. And I I think that that's maybe as impressive as anything that I've seen. It's appreciative, and you talk about that loyalty and respect factor that these fan bases have, not only for their, for their student-athletes, but the pride that they have for their universities in general. It's really enjoyable, and it's one thing for me that I, I've really got a great deal of respect for, and just to be able to be a part of a game like this where it means so much, not only to the two institutions, but really the entire state, um, certainly rewarding to be a part of
1: guards, Ross Reynolds and Landon Paulson and Cole Banwert, trying to exert some more physicality up front for the black and gold, they hand it to Torin Young, and he'll scamper in for the score, Torin Young gets himself on the board nothing fancy Joe, just between the tackles, they call the same play every time in that drive just one to the right, one to the left and the lead grows for Iowa a 24-0 advantage thanks to Torin Young Touchdown for Peyton Manziel. Keep that ball, Peyton. Take it home with you. What was a 3-0 Iowa lead at the half, the Hawkeyes have busted loose for 30 points in the second half. Did a nice job of just stepping back and letting his offensive line develop that play. Manziel and the Hawkeyes in complete control here in Iowa
0: City. Time now for our weekly reporter's notebook feature. This week with Scott Docterman. You can read Scott's articles online at theathletic.com slash team slash Iowa dash Hawkeyes. And you can also follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Docterman. Scott reflects on the win over NIU. He previews the matchups in the Saturday Cy Hawk game. And we talk some Big Ten. We welcome back Scott Docterman from TheAthletic.com for his uh, first crack at talking about Hawkeye football this season on Hawkeye's mic. Scott, let's begin by reflecting back on Iowa's 2018 season opening win over NIU, sluggish first half, a very productive second half. Defense kept them in the game long enough to let the offense kind of explode.
5: It was, uh, you know, there was a couple of really high potent factors here that really helped Iowa uh, pull out a win, and, and I think a, a well-deserved and uh, you know impressive victory. I mean, number one, I think you look at the defensive line as you mentioned. You know, <laughs> defensive end is just really solid at Iowa, and and uh, you know they came up with four sacks. They had a, applied a lot of pressure in the passing game, and and uh, Northern Illinois never was able to make anything really happen through that part of the air. And and again, you know the the rotation that they have at defensive end with Parker Hesse and and A.J. Pineda really. Came up strong. It's almost like hockey line shifts, you know. When uh, you know, I won't maybe I won't quite say Gretzky and Messier, but uh, I think uh, it certainly, you know, it was very effective for Iowa. And then looking at the other side of the ball, I I don't think Iowa's offensive line could have played a better game. Um, you're, you they were going up against a, a unit that in Northern Illinois with the majority of its players returning at least up front, and uh, you know they had 114 tackles for loss a year ago and held them to only two, and uh, one of them was. Uh, you know, a sack a strip sack of the quarterback. Who, you know, Nate Stanley was probably holding on the ball too long. So, I really think those two units came out and played really well, better than expected. You know, there was a couple of concerning areas. I think, you know, inside linebacker, you know, is is new in Iowa, and early on, Amani Jones really struggled and and he was pulled for Jack Hockaday. I think he became a little bit more consistent. It wasn't necessarily dominant, but you know, you know, nobody's Josie Jewell, though. Uh, but I thought it was okay. And then you look on the other side of the ball, I think the passing game has a a lot of room for improvement. So overall, I think it was a good first game because Iowa beat a quality opponent. They played well at times, and then there's a lot to work on. So overall, I I do think that this was a a major positive for the Hawkeyes.
0: And of course, Kirk becomes the winningest head football coach in Iowa history. That win was his 144th as he started his 20th season. I always like to, uh, ever since you've raised it, pull out your favorite stat. I think it's your favorite stat that when Iowa over the past four years now rushes for at least 100 yards Uh, it's 29 and 1 and 0 and 11 when it doesn't and I thought and of course it rushed for 209 last week four running backs combining for that but the interesting comparison stat there was in 2017 NIU was 5 and 0 when it rushed for 200 yards in a game 3 and 5 when not hitting that mark and uh, it only ended up with 101 rushing yards yeah and a lot
5: of that came late Uh, you know against Iowa's second team unit so yeah yeah, that's a that's a really interesting point from Northern Illinois, and and they had some dominant performances the year before. I mean, you know, they played well at times. Nearly beat Boston College, uh, did beat Nebraska on the road, and you know, and then made it to a bowl game and played an ACC opponent. So, you know, they, they had some good moments, but you know, Iowa clearly was the more dominant team, and in the line of scrimmage, which is where these games usually are won or lost. Uh, that's you know where Iowa really showed that you know it, it is a Big Ten team, and and Sutton Smith maybe. A really good player, and he could be a good player for a lot of Big Ten teams. But I think the best defensive ends certainly three of them played for the Hawkeyes on last Saturday.
0: Let's turn the page now. It's the annual Cy Hawk game, the Cy Hawk trophy is uh, in Iowa City, has been for the last three years in a row as Iowa's won those three games, including last year's 44-41 overtime win in Ames. ISU has certainly made great strides as Matt Campbell enters his uh, third year in Ames as head coach for Iowa State. Had a great season last year, including a bowl win, but oddly enough, they don't have a game one in the books yet because they were rained out last Saturday.
5: That was an inter- that's been an interesting question for both coaches throughout the week. Is which is uh, you know is it an advantage or a disadvantage? And I think Matt Campbell came up with the great the best response of all, and he just said you know that it's, it depends on how you spin it. <laughs> you know because they didn't show really anything on film that Iowa can prepare for. Uh, you know certainly they're young or their this uh, years worth of players, but then also you know they got to see all of Iowa's film, so they got to see the warts too. Now the flip side of that is a lot of times you know. You find out a lot about your team, the areas where you struggle in week one, and then you really hone in on those areas and for week two. And usually, there are a lot of strides made with those. and And uh, Matt Campbell's group doesn't really have that experience, you know. Now, you know, I'm sure they would have beaten South Dakota State uh, probably decisively. You know, they had a 7-0 lead. They were very explosive at the time. But uh, you know, they, maybe they had a few areas that they were looking for to make improvements, probably on the offensive line. and And they don't get to make those strides, and so then they come out week two, you know, in their first full game and play against a really Solid defensive line, probably the best one they'll face all year. So it's it's really intriguing how this may play out. I think it, from a strategic point of view, it may tilt a slightly towards Iowa State, but from a you know an actual game and execution point of view, may probably tilts a little bit towards Iowa. So I think that's a fascinating footnote um, on Saturday. We'll see if it really pans out. My guess is uh, you were not going to hear much from either side after the game, no matter who wins or loses, as to you know criticizing you know that situation.
0: Let's dig into the matchups. Iowa's offense, Iowa State's defense. Again, we, as we mentioned at the start here, the offense was pretty sluggish in the first half. It really got going in the second. Iowa State has more than just a sound defense. They're really a very good defense.
5: That was probably the most impressive turnaround outside of Purdue, which I think had the greatest turnaround of any team I've ever seen defensively. But this is really close. This is up there. I mean, you look at 2016, that wasn't a really good unit at all in, in Ames. I mean, you know, they gave up 31 points a game, 218 yards rushing, you know, 5.0 yards per carry. They flipped it last year. I mean, they they allowed less than 21 points a game, 128 yards rushing, 10 rushing touchdowns, you know, 3.6 yards per carry. So they were really effective. And kind of changing who they are and, and what they do. And, and, and I talked to the defensive coordinator last night, and he said that they just uh, they just became more more of a simple unit. they, they try try not to do too much, and he feels like that was probably in the past. You know, trying to do too much and everybody got confused. Now they just do what they do well, which uh, sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? And uh, but then they also had you know players who could execute that strategy. I mean, they do have two veteran cornerbacks. Brian Peavy is one of the best that Iowa will play all year, and uh, you know he was—he's been a two-time All Big or you know second-team All Big Ten uh, or Big Twelve. I'm sorry, uh, cornerback. Last year he had 88 tackles. Uh, 11 passes defensed. Uh, You know, DeAndre Payne was a starter last year. You know, and then they've got some impact players up front. Uh, Ray Lima, you know, was not going to get a lot of statistics, but he's the one who really forces the action in the inside. He'll tie up blockers and kind of a two-gap type area. You know, defensive end. You know, Jaquan Bailey is really good, and then outside linebacker. uh, You know, Willie Harvey can be really effective as well. So they've got a lot of good players, a lot of great athletes, and so I think this is, uh, you know, this is going to. Present a lot of challenges for Iowa. Uh, you know, putting drives together consistently because last week they were able to do that in the second half, but the first half it was. It was
0: no, There was nothing consistent about it. Iowa's running backs combined for 199 yards versus Northern Illinois. It's a little dicey, apparently, whether or not Ivory Kelly Martin, who got the start, will be able to play Saturday versus Iowa State. Kirk mentioned that not only Martin, but a couple of other people that he, he didn't uh, identify were nicked up from that Northern Illinois game. Very importantly, although you you talked about the fact of, of how well Iowa's offensive line played last week, but without its two starting offensive tackles. And Tristan Wirfs or uh, Alaric Jackson are back this Saturday versus Iowa State.
5: That's going to be critical. I mean, both of those players are probably the two best linemen that Iowa has. So, in fact, they're back in the lineup. It shows that uh, this is a pretty good unit. That They answered some questions about their backups could, you know, if somebody gets hurt, somebody gets a high ankle sprain. That that, that stuff happens all the time. Uh, you know, could a Mark Kallenberger or Levi Paulson or Dalton Ferguson step in and, and perform adequately? And I think they did. They showed they could do that. They showed they could do that against good competition. So I think that was really a positive for Iowa. Now at the running game, there's some questions because uh, Ivory Kelly Martin, I thought, had a really nice game the other day. I mean, statistically, it doesn't quite show it, but you know, he had 59 yards and penalties called back. And, and most of those penalties penalties weren't necessarily negated what he did they were just uh, you know kind of off the the run so it was really unfortunate for him but you know he it, I think it was at the end of the third quarter he had his ankle on ice and and is uh, in a walking boot now so I think there's some you know whether or not he plays I think it's if it's iffy right now it's 50 50. so I think that's kind of a you know a, a question mark you know now Torin young came in and had a really nice uh, second half eight carries uh 80 some odd yards and uh, thekai Sargent really played well so I think Iowa could get with two running backs like that if, if needed, uh, but Ivory Kelly-Martin has a little bit better dimension you know, when it comes to just explosiveness that the other two don't. So this is a little unfortunate because you do have a fast-moving defense. I, I don't think this is something that could kill Iowa.
0: Iowa got its usual solid play from the tight ends, although surprisingly, T.J. Hawkinson had a better game than Noah Fant, and Fant had that one big drop in the first half. I know Campbell's putting a lot of attention on them. The wide receivers had way too many drops, last week
5: yeah there was a total of five drop passes in the first half and that's that's a number that i think not only is concerning it's something they can't allow to happen anymore i mean last year you know that you could blame young you know they were inexperienced that you know some of the things just didn't connect very well new quarterback new coordinator but playtime's over I mean, they've got to start stepping up. they got to start making these plays. Now, some of them, you know, that maybe the ball wasn't thrown right or at the right spot. Well, too bad. You need to make that catch. And uh, I think we saw that, you know, now Noah Fant, Um, You know, that was a fundamental mistake that he made. You know, his hands were down too low. Well. You know, he's running a, you know, a go route. He's got the guy beat. It could be a touchdown or certainly a big game. And, you know, and he tried to catch the ball waist level on a fade. And, and no wonder it dropped. If he caught it with his hands above his head, he's running. You know, Brandon Smith had two drops. I mean, we've heard a lot about Brandon Smith and and he's physically very imposing. Now you got to go do it. And, uh, you know, Nate Stanley wasn't really that great either, but, you know, having five five drops in the first half can sometimes deteriorate your confidence. So that's the one area that I think really needs to make strides this week is is, uh, the passing game. Because if not, we know Iowa State can pass. We know if Iowa State gets down that they won't have any fear. They've got good players who've proven it, a quarterback and a a receiver. Um, Iowa needs to do the same. You know, TJ Hawkinson, as you mentioned, had a tremendous game catching the football. He caught it in traffic. He's He's a tough physical pass catcher. But neither tight end had a good day blocking. They were the ones who kind of suffered a little bit, you know, in, in some blocking situations. So I'm sure that got impressed upon them this week. So we'll uh you know, overall I think it was a it was a good game certainly for Hawkinson, but the whole the unit as a whole was a was a minus in my eyes.
0: You mentioned Nate Stanley's stats were kind of middling, but as you said, the drops would have made a big difference. Iowa also got its first glimpse of Peyton Manziel as the backup.
5: Yeah, two for two. I mean he looked like he is in command. I know from talking to some Players and in, in himself. that You know, he's kind of a, uh, you know, he's a guy that uh, really flashes a lot. You know, he's he's a you know man's man type, so a leader leader guy. So I, I think that's uh, that's important for him to get out there and get some stamps. Again, it's a long season. You never know what happens. He could be out there in a pinch in an important situation. So um, I think to get some experience, he scored a touchdown rushing. Um, I, I think all things told, you know, I mean it's a small sample size in a in the the garbage time, but you know. You, he quitted himself nicely, I thought.
0: Okay, who has the edge here? Iowa's offense or Iowa State's defense?
5: Uh boy. I, I would probably go slightly to Iowa's offense because this is a running game. Uh, this is a running team. And Iowa ran the ball effectively last week against a good opponent. An opponent that a year about, year ago allowed, you know, 2.97 yards per carry. And Iowa was without its two best running, uh two best tackles, offensive linemen. So I think Iowa has that going for it offensive. Now, the pass passing game, I would say, is definitely a net minus, uh, but the running attack, you know, again, if Iowa gets that 100-yard barrier, it's virtually unstop, you know unstoppable. It, it wins those games. So, I think, uh, you know, I would go Iowa's offense slightly because I think that they've got enough players, they can run the football, they can control the line of scrimmage, and ultimately that's what you need to win games.
0: Let's turn now, look at Iowa's defense versus the Iowa State offense. Of course, everybody talks about the, outstanding running back for the Cyclones, David Montgomery. Uh, They've got another real tall wide receiver and a very solid quarterback.
5: I would tilt towards Iowa State in this matchup. And as you mentioned, I mean, David Montgomery is as good or better than any running back Iowa will face, including Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin. I mean, he's not only big enough and strong enough, but he's quick. He's elusive. He'll run you over. He'll run around you. He'll outrun you. So he's got every skill set that you would want from that position. I I, I kind of equated him to Priest Holmes type of player, and I think that's kind of pretty apt. And Hakeem Butler, you know, 6'6 and can run like a deer, can catch. Last year we saw it, two big plays against the Hawkeyes, you know, 74-yard touchdown reception and a 30-yarder, I think it was on 4th and 1. So, I mean, they've got some dangerous players. And now, Iowa's defensive line is better than Iowa State's offensive line, which usually what I would tilt towards the defense, but I think in this situation is with the concerns Iowa has at linebacker. I question how ready they're going to be for a zone read attack and including a, a running back who led the country last year in missed tackles and david montgomery so and then uh you know their corners were pretty much untested the other day so i wanted to make sure uh you know i, I think in this situation just it, it's the skill the skill position players just tilt too much towards iowa state to give iowa the edge
0: iowa's defensive line was everything it was billed to be and they did that without cedric latimore and and brady reef who are both back. This week, now after their one-game suspensions, yeah, they
5: have uh, you know now they're looking at uh, you know quite a bit of depth there at uh, defensive line. You know, and that last week they kind of dipped into the well and they play you know played pretty well. Uh, Tyler Linderbaum, a true freshman, and and uh, Garrett Jansen got in and got a lot of reps uh, rotating at, at defensive tackle. So did Chauncey Golston. Now Chauncey Golston will stay outside, and and you throw Lattimore, who's a bigger, more physical stopper, and and Brady Reef in the interior. Then I think you look at Iowa, they are capable of really They have so much depth that they can rotate guys in, keep them fresh, and compete in the fourth quarter and not get tired. I think that's a huge asset.
0: Iowa's defensive secondary was pretty good against Northern Illinois. I mean, the Huskies ended up with only 110 yards passing, but again, that defensive line of Iowa makes probably anybody's secondary good. The safeties, of course, were uh, uh, solid last week, but the linebackers, and you've talked about it, 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 Jack Hockaday is going to get the start this Saturday after he came in every placed Imani Jones early and I thought Kirk's uh, discussion about what he thought the issues were for Imani Jones was interesting on Tuesday at the press conference just too hyped he said
5: yeah and you could see that with him I mean he is a high energy guy and that makes it very difficult for him to maintain that energy at a high level however what I saw was in the running game he was he was very tentative he tried to watch things develop and as he did you know he got blocked on the side or what have you and then when he was at uh, you know in Pascal he really had no idea what he was doing and that that was more about responsibility than anything so you know I think you know you want to have a player like that out on the field impact wise because he is again a high energy player probably the hardest hitter on the team you know a guy that can everybody feeds off of however you can't have those mistakes that's just just too much you know for anybody you know any team to make I mean it was a disaster early on so I I think that's uh, you know the secondary part of it we'll see what the corners are made out of Uh, the safeties play well the other day. I mean, Imani Hooker continues to be very impressive, and Jake Jervas played very well. But, you know, we'll see what the corners are made of when they're playing against uh, you know, Hakeem Butler and, and Matthew Eaton and, and Deshante Jones, because all of them are very explosive, and Butler may be one of the most dangerous players they compete against all year.
0: So it sounds like you're giving the edge then slight one to Iowa State's offense against Iowa's defense. Let's take a quick uh, look at the special teams. Iowa had uh, pretty good special teams play, although Miguel Racinos had two penalties, one of which at least the people sitting around my part of the press box had never heard of before, the moving the ball after the clock was started. Colton Rastatter, he had some really long punts, 350 yards or more. A lot of that was roll, but he had that one critical mistake early that Iowa's defense was able to stifle, which was the you know the 30-some yard punt from a deep in Iowa territory. And then you had Kyle Gronenweg, who looked pretty darn good at punt returns. I think
5: they've uh, improved they seem to have made the, the proper strides at those spots. Um, you know, punter, again, it, it, it has, uh, Iowa needs more consistency there. I don't think they're going to get it. But I think what, you know, he was able to do outside of that punt block early on, which was not his fault, you know, that, yeah, he was able to, to use those roles. And, and let's not forget that, you know, one of his punts led directly to a, uh, a safety later on. And those are key critical plays. Now, I think you look at the uh, punt return game. I think that's been really strong. Um, you know, the last week with Kyle Gronowig you know, he's a veteran at that. He was a first-team all-conference guy when he was at a Division II school. So I think he's uh, the right guy for that job. I mean, they needed a, a boost there because last year they really fell apart. So I think they've, uh, you know, by and large, the special teams areas outside of the blocked punt, I think are a plus from last year, and I think that's critical for this team.
0: Look at the Big Ten. Pretty exciting Northwestern-Purdue game, although I think it lasted, I don't know, what was it, five hours? It was really ridiculous. But Maryland upset Texas. Kansas, Notre Dame beat Michigan. Penn State barely squeezed by Appalachian State. This week, all 14 teams are in action, but there's not a whole lot to really look forward to.
5: Well, you know, you got the Iowa-Iowa State game. I think that's big. Pet, right. Pitt and Penn State, you know. some So some rivalry games, uh, some in, in their renewal, which would be Penn State-Pitt, and then, of course, the Iowa-Iowa State game, which is an annual event. And I, so I think there's some interesting ones. You know, I, I think, you know, we still have some questions about some teams, uh, you know, Northwestern Purdue game uh, was was very entertaining. I think it was a you know well played game. I think both teams showed that they're capable of having nice seasons this year. You know, a few of the teams you know really came out and played well. Uh, I would say Wisconsin did. I would say Ohio State did, Iowa did, under the radar Iowa, which seems to be the case. And then, you know, Maryland came up with another the second straight year. They came up with an upset of Texas. You know, and Minnesota actually had a really nice opener against uh, New Mexico State. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I think by and large, the Big Ten had a nice week, although I bet people in Ann Arbor would not agree.
0: I think if I were a Big Ten team this week that was on what I would call the nervous alert, it would be Michigan State doing one of those rare... Trips way out west playing at Arizona State. Big Ten teams often struggle when they do that.
5: I would pick them to lose, frankly. I, I think they are, uh, I, I've seen that too many times. Saw it with Iowa. I've seen it with Wisconsin. You know, you play in that late game, um, you know, and, and Arizona State's a pretty decent team. I think they're a bowl caliber team. And you play in the heat, you play late, your body's not used to it, they're not used to that travel. And then all of a sudden, you go out there and, and you, ex- you know, it's just, it's a very difficult surroundings for everybody. So I think uh, that is definitely an upset alert for uh, the Spartans.
0: Back to Iowa, Iowa State. Your Time for your prediction. Who gets the Cy Hawk trophy at the end of the game Saturday at Kinnick?
5: This has been one of the most difficult games I've had to analyze in a long time because I could see so many different scenarios playing out and any one of them could tip the balance in, in one or the other's direction because I think both these teams are very good. I think both can have very good seasons. I think both could be in high-level bowl games. Um, they'll come December or January with Iowa I just I saw a few too many questions in the passing game and at linebacker and I think both are critical because you you know with Iowa State's potential on offense sometimes you have to get and do a shootout we saw that last year and the passing game didn't show me enough last week and and probably more so you know the the linebackers facing a running back like David Montgomery you've really you've got to be in the right gap every single play and I'm not so sure Iowa could do that consistently. So I've got the Cyclones winning a very, very close game, 34-31. Uh, but that said, nothing would surprise me if it went in the other
3: direction. What you got to do, you got to fall back, superior firepower, and superior intelligence.
1: Hawkeyes rush for Epinesa, wraps up, knocks the ball away. It's down on the ground and picked up on the move by Chauncey Goldston. A.J. Epinesa, too tough to block off the edge.
2: Excellent pass rush by A.J. Epinesa. Cannot block him one-on-one. Again, the coverage of Iowa has been really sensational today. made Marcus Childers hold the ball again to allow A.J. to get on the edge.
3: Are you or your local Iowa company looking for a new roof or sheet metal work? TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal specializes in low slope commercial and industrial roofing and sheet metal. Building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years, TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, located in Ely, Iowa, just south of Cedar Rapids, provides strong, expert customer service and the best quality fit for you, their customer. For a free estimate, give TNK a call at 319-848-4191 or toll-free at 1-800-383-7663. You you can also visit their brand new website at tkroofing.com. TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, your home for all your low slope roofing systems. Give them a call today. Again, 319 848 4191 or toll free at 1 800 383 7663.
0: Our thanks again to BTN for the Iowa NIU game highlights. And as always, thanks to Scott Docterman. We hope you've enjoyed this program. All Hawkeyes Mike podcasts are available and can be subscribed to on iTunes, Overcast, and other podcasting apps. HawkeyesMike.com, podcasting original programming on Iowa athletics for 12 seasons. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices.
2: Nice work everyone, sharp broadcast, really good, everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle, I liked it.
0: This has been a presentation of Hawkeyes Mike,
1: LLC.